Welcome to the March edition of the Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Douglas, the webmaster of SpiderManCrawlspace.com. We've got two special guests that were kind enough to talk to some crazy internet webheads. We've got the Spider-Girl creative team, uh, Tom DeFalco. Tom, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. And we've got penciler Ron Friends, also a big fan. Ron, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It's Tom's pleasure. And, <laughs> and we've got our old regulars. We've got JR from SpideyKicksButt.com. JR? Yeah, hello. And, and old, unfortunately, is literally as, as, as literal as well as metaphoric. So. <laughs> and, of course, we've got the biggest Spider Girl fan out there. We've got Spidey Dude from SpideyDude.com. Welcome, Spidey Dude. Hey, guys. It's great to have you guys. All right, well, let's get right into the questions for Tom and Ron. We've, uh, these two guys, you know, these guys have been together, like, I, I'd say more than 20 years. With, uh, they're teaming up, I guess, back in Amazing Spider-Man back in 84. Guys, what keeps this relationship so successful? You guys have been at it together for a long time. Well, Ron has these blackmail pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, actually, you're experiencing right now what keeps this relationship strong is that yeah. we, we're not... We're we're so very rarely in in a rent a room together. Oh, yeah, where it's it's by phone, and I, I know I know for myself that's why it's the longest lasting relationship I've had. <laughs> is, is because it, it's it's not face to face. Oh, <laughs> how about you, Tom? What's what keeps it so successful? Well, I think you know the you know the reason why you know I get, love this relationship so much is because Ron does all the hard work. He does all the heavy thinking. Um, you know, all I have to do is write the credits and write on his coattails. Wow. Boy, it's real honesty tonight, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's honesty. I mean, I'll play into that. I mean, Tom is very uh, open to input. I mean, uh, more so than pretty much any writer I've ever worked with. I mean, the, the real partnership started when we realized that we like similar comics. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the first conversation we had before we were working together, we realized that we just had this incredible uh, connection over the love of the stuff that, you know, the, the, the Silver Age stuff and the, the, uh, the classic Marvel style and all of this. And, 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 you know, when you find a kindred spirit like that, even fan to fan, you, you know, you start talking about that and, and it, it kind of the ball starts kind of rolling. Right. And, and, and professionally, Tom's very open, and uh, you know he. Uh, whenever I started to contribute more and more, and had more ideas, and would pitch them, he made me very comfortable to pitch them, and he would use them, and yeah. it just became very synergistic. And uh, you know, I, I, for me, it's also a respect issue. I can't speak for Tom. I have to assume it's probably there on some level, but when you respect what the other person is contributing, the, then the relationship doesn't wear, right. you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, if, if it becomes personal, if you, if you, if you have some issue with, you only like working with this person, if they use a certain percentage of what you contribute, mm-hmm. then that becomes something that you might be able to see the cracks. You might be able right. to wear, but if you could, if you respect why they make the choices they make, and if they're willing to, to, to work back and forth with you and say, okay, I, I like this idea, but I don't think it's appropriate for this reason, or we'll use it later because of this or whatever, and you respect that, then it's really hard to really wear the edges on this thing. Right. You know, I mean, I enjoy working with Tom every bit as much now as, as I did when we first started, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's because of that. It's because if he makes a choice that I might not necessarily agree with, I respect where he's coming from. And right. That makes it very easy to deal with. It doesn't fester. It doesn't sit there. I don't resent it I, or anything. You know, I mean, I, Tom's Tom. He, you know, he has the track record without me. Mm-hmm. I certainly respect everything he has to contribute. And, you know, he made the call, and I'm fine with it. You now, know. now, Tom, was it back in 1984 when you guys teamed up on Amazing Spider-Man? Was that the first team-up of you two guys? No. Oh. No. It predates that. That's writer penciler it was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we had worked together. He was my editor on Team Up. Oh, okay, on Marvel Team Up. Okay. We we first started, you know, working on Team Up. We first met, I think, prior to that. Yeah, at some convention. Yeah, I, was, I think it was a Pittsburgh show. Yeah, with uh, Butch Geist. I I I you know all I remember of the night is that uh, it was Ron, 
uh, Jackson Geis mm-hmm. and, and me and um, and a couple of ladies. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that part. Boy, this well, sounds like the beginning well, of a joke. <laughs> apparently, apparently, this is when I got the incriminating photo. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I think you were the one with the you know, you you uh, with um, a, a lady you were dating at the time. I guess that's possible. Uh, Lori, <laughs> it might have been. Yeah, I don't right. know. And and the the three or four of us or five of us, I don't remember how many. If Jackson was with somebody, I you know I wasn't, and I resented it, and I still do. Um, <laughs> Uh, we, you know, the, you know, we, we went out to some restaurant and started talking, obviously, about comics. And in, in the course of the night, Ron and I just started to, you know, come up, you know, remember this story, remember that story, and just got so excited about, you know, all the comic books that, you know, we, we loved in common. Yeah. And, um, we, you know, we, we just got on tune there. Um, and I think that's when we first started talking about characters. Right. Um, and you know, we first started working together as, um, pencil and writer. You know, I maintain as kind of a, you know, kind of a, a fluke, um, uh, J.R., Junior was was drawing Amazing Spider-Man mm-hmm. and, and left Amazing Spider-Man on a temporary basis to go to start up the X-Men. Right. Uh, to start drawing the X-Men and, and the plan was he was going to draw the X-Men, get that book on time, and then come back and do X-Men and Amazing Spider-Man. Right. And, and Ron, I, I believe you were just supposed to be filling in for him. Uh, yeah, initially it was I was told six issues. Yeah, six right. issues. Um, Roger Stern was writing Amazing Spider-Man, and I, you know, I just loved Roger Stern's Spider-Man. I used to think he was like the, you know, the perfect Spider-Man writer. Yeah, he's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, Yeah. um, you know, I just, man, I, you know, I still like to go back and reread that stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I had been editing Roger, and then later on, um, you know, the company and its infinite stupidity promoted me, <laughs> and, and, and I was moved into, uh, you know, dealing with Star Comics and had to give up the Spider-Man titles, and Danny Fingeroth was the editor, Yeah. Um, and at one point, Danny came to me and said, uh, Rogers decided to leave Spider-Man because he wants to go write the Avengers, mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know, was very disappointed because, you know, like I said, I loved reading Rogers' Spider-Man. Right. And Dan said, I, you know, I need a new writer. Do you got any ideas? Yeah. And part of my job at that time was to keep track of all the freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pulled down a list of the writers, and I'm looking at the list and rattling off names as possible Spider-Man writers to, mm-hmm. to, to Danny. And I look up, and he's got this goofy smile on his face. <laughs> and, and he's not taking any notes. Yeah. And he says to me, well, you know, I already have my own idea on who I want to hire. Mm-hmm. So I responded, well, then why are you wasting my time? <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. and, and he said to me, you know, I, I thought you, you, you should write it. And I said, no, I can't write Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man needs a guy like Roger Stern. I can't do that stuff. Forget about it. Yeah. And then he somehow talked me into doing a couple of issues. Yeah. I think the first couple of issues Roger had already plotted, so I, all I had to do was the dialogue. Right. Um, if I remember correctly, it was like around two fifty-two or something when he came out of the Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two fifty-one and two fifty-two were the right. two that Roger had already plotted. Yeah. Right. Right. And um, you know, so I started, you know, scripting over Roger's stuff. Right. And Ron and I started to work together, and. Yeah, you know, there are certain times when creative teams just click, mm-hmm. and after a while, Danny um, kind of forgot that we were temporary. <laughs> <laughs> he just took the ball. Well, let, let me. He took the well, ball. You, ran with it, right? <laughs> well, yeah. If if I might, I mean, this is kind of where I, the story I heard from Danny was that Jr. was in the offices, and the the run on X Men was going very well. And uh, Danny said, you know, how's it looking for you to come back and do both? Because that would, that would be very prodigious 
to to produce him, but he's doing X Men and Spider Man at the same time. Yeah. And he said, you know, is, is that still, are we still on target? Are you still coming back after six after six issues? And and Jr. must have said, well, you sound like you're happy with what's going on. And he goes, well, I think yeah, I think they're doing okay. I think they're they're gelling, and uh, you know, I mean, but I'm we'll stick to the deal. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that. Right. And uh, apparently, Jr. thought about it a couple of minutes and and talked to Danny about it a little bit more. But he said. Stay with them. Stick with them. Yeah. If, if you're happy with what's going on, then stick with yeah. them. And, and uh, when I first met Jr. in person, I thanked him for my run on Spider-Man <laughs> because you know he he pretty much gave the nod. You know, I mean, it was kind of up to him, and he gave the nod, and, uh, and I thank him immensely for yeah. for the opportunity. And you, know? and you know, you two guys have stuck together uh, throughout twenty plus years. You know, and the fans of Spider Girl have stuck with you guys for a long time. What's it like to have some of the most dedicated fans? You know, you guys. So that title has been close to cancellation like five or six times, but it, it always gets a reprise from the fans by buying more books. I guess. What's that like? To well, have we to... have we we have the smartest fans, uh, <laughs> not just the most loyal. Because yeah. just recently, uh, uh, Tom Brevoort wrote a blog where he right. talked about you know uh, fans who are trying to emulate Spider Girl fans are writing these emails to Marvel, and you know we can't do anything here at Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know uh, the Spider Girl fans. Uh, inherently or otherwise, realize that you you have to, you know, uh, attack other areas. You have to get to the you know get to the retailers and right. and you have to get the word out and uh, and so we've always had you know very very intelligent fans because they don't just voice their disapproval of about a cancellation to the publisher. Mm-hmm. They really go where you know it's their surgical strikes where they're needed right. and uh, they they tend to because of that help boost sales, which yeah. is the bottom line, and they get that and. Uh, it's very gratifying. I mean, I, you know, I, I it, it gave me a whole new respect of Tom because he has an entire message board of zombies who will kill his command. <laughs> and uh, he, he would turn them against me in a second. That sounds like uh, a limited series, Tom DeFalco's Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because Tom is a, is a pretty con- consistent presence on the message board, I, I lurk and I occasionally log on and stuff. <laughs> but I mean, the, the connection with Tom is very real with those guys, and uh, they they tend to think that he does everything on the book, and uh, <laughs> and, and I just I just make his job more difficult. <laughs> but uh, it's it's very gratifying to have that kind of loyalty, and you know, Tom and I have been blessed before with with that kind of loyalty. Not as active, certainly not as as involved and active as the Spider Girl fans, but. You know, to this day, we have people coming up to us and talking about how much they connected with Thunderstrike and how much they enjoyed that strip. And yeah, that was a good book. That it was a crime, that it was canceled. And, and, and frankly, I think that comes from the fact that Tom and I take it personally. We, yeah. we put a lot of ourselves into the title. And, you know, it's like that old adage that if we're having fun, they'll have fun. Right. And uh, and I think that really has a lot to do with it because I, I can't, I frankly, can't think of a single team out there or single creator that has as much fun doing what they do as we do. <laughs> and, it, and I think it comes across it, on the page. It, it, I like to think so. Anyway. It does. Tom, what do you think about having so, so loyal fans? Um, I tell you, it, it always strikes me as, as an awesome responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's on the one hand, it's very gratifying. And on the other hand, it's very scary because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Every time we sit down, we have to, you know, really justify what we're doing to those, those fans. Right. So, you know, you know, some writers, uh, um, you know, seem like their first idea they can put down and, and be happy with it. Right. You know, Ron and I are, are usually, you know, what you see on the page is usually our 10th or 11th or 12th <laughs> idea because... Um, you know, we're constantly striving to make each issue better. Right. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail, mm-hmm. but it isn't because we haven't tried. We're always, you know, trying to make, you know, we want our book to be the most exciting comic book out there. Right. And we're, we're constantly, you know, second guessing ourselves and, you know, oh, well, what if we did this? Well, how about we try this? Right. You know, how about this idea? <laughs> Just throw it up. And we love our characters too. I mean, it's, I think one of the things that, that comics has lost, and I think TV is starting to lose it a little bit too, is that writing 
for distance. Uh, if, if I don't know, let me explain that a second. But it used to be that when you created a concept, the whole point was for it to have legs. Right. Okay. And you create a character that you'd like to hang out with, and you create a supporting cast, and you create an environment and everything. And then the challenge becomes uh, giving the reader a comfort zone where they, they have some idea of what they can expect every month, but surprising them along the way. Right. Okay. And these days, I mean, the fans can get very involved, and they want they the fans think they want change. Yeah. And yet, they fear change. Right. And and I know I'm a fan the same way. You know, it's like you want to see something fresh and new, but you don't want them to tear everything down right. and start over either. Right. You know, you don't want every writer that comes on to do his version necessarily. Right. Uh, and that's the kind of fan I was, you know, I want to entertain me, but, but, but remember my borders, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and I think Tom and I, that's what we write towards. Yeah. And, and the example I would bring up is, is, is I'm a big fan of lost, but I, I'm, I seem to be a different breed of fan than the vocal fans because there's this whole thing now where they're talking about maybe announcing that it's going to be a five year cycle. Mm -hmm. So the fans believe that it's going somewhere and that the fans will have closure and everything. I don't want closure. <laughs> I love the, f I, I, yeah. every, if, if each episode entertains me and I enjoy the characters, right. the Island is just the, pre the, the setup. The Island is just the backdrop. Yeah. I want to watch, I like visiting with these characters mm -hmm. and, and I don't get caught up in the mythology of what I, I wonder if these writers really know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, that never doesn't occur to me in the course of an hour of television. If I'm enjoying yeah. the hour of television, because those writers, you know, if the show goes five years, that whole writing staff could be replaced. And if the new writing staff does a good job, I still will enjoy visiting with the characters. <laughs> and, well, and I think the writers, yeah. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, I, you know, but I read Spider-Man for years under different writers right. and enjoyed visiting with Pete. Uh, now the comics has shifted focus a little bit, and now that everybody has to do their Pete, right. I, I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. You know? Um, and you know, we've benefited on Spider-Girl from having a fairly consistent, you know, well, Tom has written every issue except right. one, so there, there you go. Right. But you know, even between Pat and I being fairly consistent on approach and everything, but I love those characters, right. and I don't want to screw with them. I wouldn't screw with these characters just to screw with the readers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 I think that, that love and affection for the environment, for the character itself, you know, is part of what comes through on the page. Now, kind of along the same lines of change, you guys recently relaunched the book with Amazing Spider-Girl. What, what's some of the changes you guys wanted to do with the book since you're getting a relaunch? Well, you know... Who's talking? Who's excuse me, Tom? Who's talking down at the waterfront? <laughs> this is the lovely connection of the internet. It's called Skype, <laughs> so it's. But, but I'm hearing a foghorn or something like that. I'm hearing a truck horn. Or I, something. I think that. Is anybody else hearing I think that? it might be a cell phone interference or something like that. Occasionally. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Proceed, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I think that the basic difference between Spider Girl and Amazing Spider Girl is we used the break to kind of get back to basics yeah. to bring the school more in focus and also to add, you know, an additional complication to, to make life. Yeah. Um, with spider girl, um, in one of one Oh five, she discovered she had powers and she jumped right into the spider girl life. And for a hundred issues was, you know, spider girl was part of her life. Right. Um, the break between Spider-Girl and Amazing Spider-Girl, in, in our minds, we figured that May was finally getting a chance to live the normal teenage life mm -hmm. for, for you know that indeterminable amount of time between issues. Yeah. Um, and to her amazement and chagrin, she really enjoyed being a, a normal teenager. Yeah. Now, when she puts on that costume, she's actually giving up something that she really enjoys. Right. Now, she also enjoys being Spider-Girl, but, you know, life is a, a constant tug, tug of war yeah. between different things that, you know, that call to right. us. Ron, what did you want to do with the changes, with the relaunch? Well, you know, kind of going with what Tom was saying, yeah. what, I, what I've always enjoyed about the character from the beginning is that, uh, unlike Pete, Mayday is so popular that she's friends with the geeks and 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 the jocks. Yeah, and um, she was always torn. And w what we introduced in 105 was that 
you know, she was kind of torn between those two worlds. She straddled those two worlds. And as Spider-Girl, she could use both halves of herself unapologetically. Right. You know, because when she was with her geek friend, she had to deny her jock self. And when she was with the jock, she had to, to kind of deny her, her geek half, you know, that kind of thing. But as Spider-Girl, the brains and the physicality all came together, and, and she felt whole for, for the first time in this right. role. And being, as Tom said, being Spider-Girl was this choice. It was right. this, this almost childlike choice of uh, will. You know, I want to be Spider-Girl because I'm doing the right thing, and I want to be Spider-Girl. Right. Between the series, between 100 and, and Amazing Number One, she she uh, embraced normal life, quote unquote, and and she really enjoyed it, and she she's she realized that she's good at it, and yeah. she's not running from it anymore, or looking for Spider Girl to be a relief from that, mm-hmm. and and I think what we're seeing in the the first six issue arc and in some of the stories to come, is that she's seeing it as a calling. Mm-hmm. A little bit more than as a choice. Right. Um, you know, she was always comfortable with it as you know, this is who I am and everything. Uh, but now she has something to balance it against. And, and as, as as Tom was saying, I mean, it, it's not just uh, something she's doing for fun now. Mm-hmm. It's something that that she's trading off with and kind of making compromises against a normal life with. But mm-hmm. but she so she's come to see it more on, on a slightly higher level as as a calling and as a destiny. Yeah. I guess just, and, I, and I think that's going to change, you know, some of her responses and things. And Tom, this next question is for you about what, what's some of the differences in writing a lead female character in a book, you know, as opposed to like Peter Parker as the main lead character. There aren't very many lead female characters in comics these days. What's some differences to doing that? Um, I, I think it's, well, no, well, it, it, it's really, um, a matter of a, a, a slight change of perspective. Right. Um, I think a, a male character's first response is, um, you know, in terms of aggression mm-hmm. and in terms of physicality. Right. Where May's uh, first response to everything is, let's talk about this. Let's see if we can understand what's going on. Throwing right. um, the punch is, you know, her 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 last resort. And sometimes she goes out of her way to, to avoid that last resort. Right. Um, it, it's just a whole different kind of, um, you know, mentality. Because, right. you know, guys tend to, you know, respond to action, right. and, and women tend to respond to motivation. <clears throat> Whose who's words tend to come out easier? Is it Peter Parker's or May's? Who do you, who you find easier to, is easier to write? Well, um, at, at this stage of the game... You know, um, you know both of them. Yeah. You know, I, I, after a hundred issues, uh, my biggest problem with these characters is to get them to shut <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, also, Ron, what's uh, the differences in drawing uh, Spider Girl as opposed to Spider Man? I mean, in the beginning, you guys—I guess you could have gone for like the sex pot character with the the large cleavage, but you guys. Well, you see, that's yeah. yeah, that's and that's something that also refers back to the the prior question right. about the differences between the end of the first run and the second. Right. Is uh, um, I, when I did one hundred one hundred five, I had a, uh, an idea of who May was and how she was built mm-hmm. and all this kind of jazz. Yeah. And if you if you go back and look at one hundred one hundred five, and you look at what we're doing as of Amazing Number One, you'll see that it's it's a lot closer to what was going on. Right. I mean, I have to be honest. Pat came on. Pat Olive came on the book with Number One. And did such an incredible run up through the late 50s mm-hmm. that, um, uh, you know, I I really did feel uh, up through probably up through 100, I I was still working under Pat's shadow. Right. Um, I, I, even though I helped co- help create the character, I mean, he had brought so much to the table and had entertained the fans for so long. I, I did feel like I was reacting to what Pat had done. Right. And, you know, I'm a little more cartoon, uh, more of a cartoonist than he is. He's more of a straight illustrator. So I was doing like a cartoony version of his version of Spider-Girl, and then I was trying to, to find my comfort zone within that. And uh, I was drawing her too thin for a while and all this kind of jazz. So with, one, with, uh, with Amazing Number 1, I did some sketches, and I kind of went back to my original concept of who who may would be right. and how she'd be built, and that tends to be uh, more of a of a gymnast build, a swimmer's right. build, the broader shoulders, muscular legs, and, and you know Pat 
only very briefly did, did Pat fall victim to the old comic cliche of, of larger breasts or right. anything, you know, before we found who May was. And uh, it just makes sense, and it makes her unique and different and special, and that's what we're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I've been enjoying is when we have her encounter other female characters, mm -hmm. I may indulge <laughs> the, the comic cliches a little bit more with the other characters yeah. just to make May that much more unique. Right. And, uh, you know, so visually I, I find that. I mean, and as far as, you know, over Pete, I... With, with especially with Amazing Number One, I've tried to return as much as I can to my roots. Right. I've been looking back through the Spider-Man stuff that I loved. I mean, I've I've gone back to the uh, the, the the mid '60s smaller eye piece. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of jazz because yeah. I'm I'm really re-embracing what the the stuff I grew up on and why I loved it and <laughs> those nice, wonderful. You know, I try to get one shot in an issue where it's just a full body shot of her swinging. Right. And showing how it does, and showing the mechanics of who she is, and how she sticks to things, and all uh -huh. that kind of stuff. And it really has come about by re-embracing the stuff I grew up on—the the, the Bissema, the Ramita, the Mooney, the you know that whole period in the mid to late '60s right. that uh, I just love. I just think it's a bible. So, right. uh, and, and it plays in with the kind of stories we've been doing. I mean, frankly, that I've told Tom several times during that first six-issue arc that we're pretty much getting everything into a spider story that I want. We're, we're getting, um, you know, we got the bad guys, we've got thugs, we've got uh, the character that is uh, affected by the superhero, we've got, you know, the things affecting the superhero, and it's just all the kind of uh, uh, mechanizations that I love to see in the course of a story. Right. We, uh, we managed to get into that first six issues. And uh, and we've continued to to play yeah. with and everything. So I mean, uh, the, you know, the best is yet to come. Well, going back to the '80s, uh, your your first issue together was 252, and which is a big milestone of a Spider-Man's life. Uh, Ron, how much did you have any de uh, development with the black costume? Were you the guy that designed the black costume for Spider-Man? No, actually, the the story that I've been retelling a yeah. lot is the fact that when I first got the plot for 252, right. I it came along with Mike Zek's sketches of the black costume, and I thought it was a new villain. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I talked to the office and went, new villain looks cool. And they went, no, that's Spider-Man's new costume. And I went, are you shitting me? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, bleeping no, me. Feel free. <laughs> um, but it was, it was one of those things where I was very surprised. I, I, uh, I appreciated it as a design. I mean, it's cool, yeah. but, uh, I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I waited all this, all this time and to do Spider-Man and I got to do 251 with the classic costume, yeah. but that, you know, there was 252 was going to be the change. And, uh, you know, what could I do? I wasn't going to turn it <laughs> down. But uh, it, it, was, it was funny. And, and uh, Rick Leonardi, I, he came on and did 253, 254 before we started our, our six issues with 255. Right. And um, it was, uh, he did a wonderful job right. with it. I mean, I just loved the way he handled it. And he made a couple of slight modifications to the, to the uh, design itself. Right. And the way he handled it really showed me how it could work. Right. And I was getting his Xeroxes from Danny, and I'm like, oh, hey, <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do with this then. And, uh, you know, so it became kind of fun. But I, I was I was hankering, believe me, I was hankering to get back. I, I, I have enjo enjoyed few sequences more than when he looked back on the Red and Blues, and yeah. I got to do the classic Ditko shot of him running up the wall <laughs> and all that stuff. Now, Tom, know. was the black costume storyline already in play before you got the book, or how did it come about? Oh, yeah, uh, you know, um, Roger had done that plot. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, you know, I was deeply involved in, in Secret Wars, which was the big crossover that announced the black costume. Um, somehow or other, it had leaked out. You know, these days, everything leaks yeah, out. Yeah, three months in advance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in those days, it wasn't, you know, the leaks weren't as prominent, but somehow or other, it had leaked out that, you know, Spider-Man was going to get a new costume. Um, you know, I, I believe I was, had already been assigned to write, to write amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, we were getting a storm of protest about the black costume, uh, about the new costume, even before it had appeared in print. Um, and you know, in those days, you know, no one had seen what the, what the costume was actually going to look like until the comic book actually went on sale. Um, Man. and we got such a storm of protest about it. That I, I remember Jim Shooter coming in to me and said, you know, what issue does Spider-Man get the black costume? <laughs> you know, amazing 252. To get rid of it by 253. 
said, this thing is, this thing is not going to work. Yeah, they didn't expect it to go um, over so well. Well, no, yeah. because, you know, um, and, you know, I say this with great affection, but, you know, comic book fans are a cowardly and superstitious lot. <laughs> I'd agree. And, uh, yeah. you know, and they, uh, they, they hate everything before it comes yeah. out. Um, so they had decided that they hated the, the costume. So, mm-hmm. you know, Shooter said to me, you know, we've got to get rid of it right away. And I went in and I, you know, I had a long discussion with him. Um, with Danny Fingal out there, and I eventually convinced everyone that, um, you know, we couldn't get rid of the costume before he actually got it in Secret Wars. Because right. he was scheduled to get it in Secret Wars 8. I said, we have to hold this costume for at least eight issues. Mm-hmm. So, he, at least, you know, at least he'll get it in Secret Wars before we get rid of it in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why we, you know, set up the initial storyline in which he eventually gets rid of the costume. Mm-hmm. And of course, by the time we got rid of the costume, everybody had decided that they loved it, so we had to bring it back right yeah. away. Well, you know, moving to another area of uh, Spider-Man history, the uh, moving to the '90s, the Clone Saga. You know, it's been almost it's been ten years, and it seems on every podcast I do, a question comes up about the Clone Saga. I mean, looking back at that, guys, what the Baby May storyline, the Ben Riley, Tom, what's what's your thoughts on it? Ten years later, the what the saga? Clone Saga. That was good. I like that. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, here's the, you know, the secret of the clone saga, which, you know, nobody wants to believe, but, um, but the, the original clone saga was supposed to be, you know, kind of a three-part story. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, part one, Ben comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, part two, um, you know, Ben and Peter discover you know are arguing about you know who's the uh, you know who's the real Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, part three, we discover that Ben's the real Spider-Man. And Peter goes off into the sunset to live happily ever after with Mary Jane, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And um, we, you know, came up with a, you know, why would Peter and Mary Jane go happily ever after into the sunset? Because they now have a new responsibility. Mary Jane is right. pregnant. Okay. And then, you know, as far as the writers were concerned, that was the three-part mm-hmm. story. But then Danny Finger, what then I, you know, I'm saying, but the trouble is no one's ever going to buy Ben Riley as, as the real Spider-Man. So there's actually a part four, but we're not going to tell the writers of this until we get <laughs> Yeah. And part four is, it was a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ben's friend ran the test. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, he, you know, yeah. it, it was a setup from the yeah. beginning. Ben is really the clone. Um... And, you know, he fails against somebody, because mm-hmm. at the time we didn't know who, who, you know, who he fails, and Peter has to come back and has to resume the mantle. Uh. And that was going to take roughly about, I think it was six to eight mm-hmm. months. And, I, and, and Danny Fingerworth and I, you know, and Danny said, well, what, what if everybody loves Ben Riley? I said, we want, we want them to love Ben Riley. Mm-hmm. Because if they really love Ben Riley, at some point we can spin him off into his own book. Yeah. But um, so we really want everyone to love Ben Riley. Uh, but no, no one's going to buy the Peter Parker wasn't, you know, yeah. Spider-Man. Come right. on. So that was going to be the, the 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 story. Now, what ultimately happened, um, and this is the part that Bill Jemis and everybody else forgets, is that. In the course of the story, when we first started the Clone Saga, it created a lot of stir, you know, emotions were flaring, fans were, you know, upset, and they were buying a lot of Spider-Man right. books. All right? And then around the, this particular time, um, Marvel decided that they didn't really want me anymore, so they didn't <laughs> um, And, uh, you know, which was, you know, probably the first wise decision they Aww. made. 
and 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 then then they balance that off with a very stupid decision. They bought their own distributor. Yeah. Um, and the you know the issues that came out right after Marvel bought their own distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I you know I always maintain that the the Clone Saga was so bad mm-hmm. that the sales of Spider Man fell forty percent. And so did every other comic book on the yeah. line. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and it was all because of the and clone. Blame saga. it all. <laughs> yeah, all because of the clone saga had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that Marvel bought its own distributor. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like it was a victim of now, its time in the company, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and this clone saga was so bad that it even affected the sales of Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and and. and you know, Captain America and, uh, and Fantastic and, Four, so they had to bring in the image guys to save uh, us. Yeah, and the, and the rest of the industry. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, now, after the, the initial drop, the only group of titles that started to go up again were the Spider-Man mm-hmm. titles. Right. Um, and they were the only group that started to, you know, increase in sales, and that Everybody looked at it and said, well, it's because we've got this Clone Saga story in mm-hmm. there. So instead of it ending when it was supposed to, they just kept, you know, the the, the team at Marvel, the sales managers, those sort of people basically said, we, we've got to keep this thing going because it's the only thing that we have that's right. working now. Well. <laughs> um, and, and that's, you know, you know you later on uh, they, they uh, did the X-Men, the... Um, oh, uh, Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. Age of Apocalypse, right. and, and then that started to work yeah. again, but but initially it was only the Spider-Man title, so they just kept, you know, keeping the Clone Saga right. going far longer than it could, to the point that, you know, and they were stretching things. At, at one point, um, you know, I was I turned in a plot for what I thought was the next issue of whatever book mm-hmm. I was writing at the time, you know, one issue of Spider-Man and, and I turned in a plot and they said, uh, okay, this plot is kind of thin for, for two mm-hmm. issues. And I said, two issues, it's not two issues. It's one mm-hmm. issue. And they said, well, actually we needed to stretch over two issues. Hmm. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, why don't I just do a second story for the second issue that you need? And they said, okay, let, let us get back to you. <laughs> Yeah, and then they called me up and they said, "Well, actually, it has to stretch over four. Oh man! And I said, "Well, then I'm going to have to come up with three other stories." Mm-hmm. I said, "No, no, it's got to be, it's got to be this story. We have to somehow put more stuff in it so it can stretch over four yeah. issues." And I said, "No, no, no. Let me just come up with something yeah. different." And they said, "Well, it might have already been solicited. Let us get back to you." <laughs> And they called me up two hours later and said, no, it has to be this story because it's already been solicited and it has to actually run over two months, so it has to run over yeah. eight issues. Oh. And I said, guys, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, but I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> it's like you're on the stage and you have to stretch. <laughs> yeah. And, and Very yeah. much so, yeah. And, and, and we were running into those sort of problems on a, right. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of fans look, you know, at, at the clone saga and they say, well, you know, some of these stories weren't that good. Um, and some of them weren't that good. I, I look back on a lot of them and say, but a lot of them really were pretty good. Um, I think we really got into the heart and soul of who Peter Parker Mm -hmm. is. And there were some, you know, really some terrific, some terrific things in there. I think Todd DeZago and... Howard Mackey and Mark Dematis. These guys did some really tremendous. Work one, one of your big, one of your biggest um, fans of the Clone Saga and Spider Girl is Spidey Dude. He's on the line. Spidey Dude, you've got some questions. You want to, you want to ask the fellas? Well, I, I want to start off by saying, Tom, as someone that's read your work since the beginning, uh, since I started even reading comics, uh, it's an honor to speak to you. And it's an absolute pleasure. Ron, I didn't get into your stuff until you know when, you, when I started seeing you with uh, Amazing Spider, uh, Amazing Spider Girl, and, and even before that, in Spider Girl, the original series. But you you got you produced first first class work, 
So uh, now on to my question. Uh, and you probably get it a lot, guys. How do you approach writing and drawing Peter Parker now as to say, now as to say in the 80s? How do you, how do you, uh, what's your approach to writing Peter Parker in Spider-Girl? Then how is it different than writing it like in the 80s and the 90s? Uh, well, Peter's still Peter as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. He's just, um, you know, he's just older and wiser sometimes. <laughs> wiser. I, I think, um, you know, as many of us, he sometimes forgets that he is older and he also forgets that he's missing a life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that, uh, you know, to some fans, they said, oh, you know, he lost a leg. Why would that stop him? <laughs> um, guys, losing a leg can be a pretty thing. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I've always had an attitude about superheroes that, in, in, you know, in, in order for, for them to work in my brain, um, I've always looked at them as like, you know, sports figures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can be a, you know, a t- t- terrific football player, but you only have a limited number of years as a football player because eventually the punishment to your body and your psyche gets to be so much that you just can't do it anymore. You know, the mind is willing, but the flesh can't keep up with it. And I think that, you know, superheroes, it's the same sort of thing. That I believe that there really were superheroes if any of them lasted more than, five, you know, four or five years, you know, that would be just an amazing right. thing. Because the, the physical punishment these guys uh, suffer on a regular basis, the, the internal injuries, the, you know, everything else like that, it's got to yeah. add up. You know, I believe that a guy like Peter Parker, you know, even though he doesn't show it, every morning he gets up, he's still... Yeah. It's time for some ibuprofen in the morning or something. <laughs> you, you, yeah, I yeah. mean, this is, you know, any of you guys who've, who've ever done any mm-hmm. sports stuff, um, you know, you know, or, or, or even done a good workout, you're pretty sore mm-hmm. the next day. Yep. Imagine if you had Doc Octopus <laughs> punching the heck out of you. He's the newest machine down at the gym. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. That that you know after a while it gets to you, but but even so, I think Peter is also like one of those boxers who just can't retire. Um, you know, he he his first reaction is always to go for that mm-hmm. costume, especially when his daughter is is in danger. Now, he, you know, here's the thing with parents and their children: is you know you, you intellectually you know the child is growing yeah. up. But emotionally, that's still your baby. Or his responsibility, um, if you will. Yeah. Or his yeah. responsibility. So. Which, I, yeah, which I think ties into what, what part of the retirement, too. I mean, he had the kid, and his responsibility to Spider-Man was still mm-hmm. pulling him out. There's an element of the getting his leg blown off was his excuse mm-hmm. for quitting. Because nobody's going to argue yeah. that one. <laughs> but I think the real reason he quit was because he had the he had a family and and you know Tom and I used to always talk about when we were on Spider-Man in the 80s that if if Pete ever got married and settled down if he ever made the decision to marry that that there was a part of us that character we had always written it was interesting to try to to struggle with it once he got married because our even before a kid came along our attitude was kind of spider web swinging would kind of be the the equivalent of Thursday night poker <laughs> with the boys it's gone you know you're going to do yeah. less of it because your primary responsibility if you are going to to stand up uh, in front of your, all your friends and family and say you're pledging yourself to this person Mary Jane becomes his number one right. responsibility and and certainly once the baby came along that would be the turning point for Pete so that's that's why I say getting his leg blown off was the excuse because there might have been workarounds you know we're talking about marvel technology mm-hmm. and everything but at that point I'm done <laughs> I, you know I think I I've it cost me my leg I think nobody's going to yeah. give me crap if I say I'm going to take my cane and retire you know yeah. that kind of thing and then I can be there for my kid right. and my family yep. you know and and something that people you know lose the fact of is Peter is still fighting crime. He now does it in a police right. lab. 
Yeah. That was all Tom's idea, too, turning him into kind of like a Barry Allen type of dude. Yeah, I, I loved it. And it predated CSI. <laughs> yes. It really yes. did. I mean, they, they stole that from us. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but because, uh, you know, our, our model was kind of like Barry Allen as, you know, the, the innocuous police scientist. And then in the, in the next couple of years, the CSI franchise starts up, and we're like, wow, boy, were we ahead of the curve on that <laughs> That's one. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Uh, my next question is: I grew up a child of of Clone Saga, uh, and uh, so, uh, so do you enjoy that continuity with the characters such as Kane and the son of Ben Riley, Dark Devil? Um, how do you? I mean, nobody references Kane or or Ben Riley for that. Hardly. Well, they don't hardly reference those guys anymore. They, they're much better about doing it now. But you, you, it seems like you've kind of taken the continuity that you have like fun and just kind of ran with that and made it one big long run. How do you how do you do you enjoy using that continuity or or do you think it's a necessary part of, of Spider-Man? Well, I I um I found Kane to be a very interesting character when he was first introduced and and thought hey here's an interesting character that no one else seems to be seems to care about. It, it, it's weird with um, you know the current books and stuff. They you know uh, and I and I don't mean for this to come out in a negative way, but the writers seem to be interested in doing their versions of the classic characters um, instead of either creating new things or you know or creating you know uh, things from the you know pulling up characters from the seventies or the eighties mm-hmm. or the nineties. It, it seems just to be their versions of the sixty characters, uh, you know the characters that were around when they were reading the comics. Um, you know, Ron and I, uh, had, we always get a lot of static for this when, when we're on a book, is when, you know, when we got on Spider-Man, we felt it was our job to create a whole bunch of new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we very rarely touched on the classic characters. When we were on Thor, again, we created a whole bunch of new characters. Um, because we kind of think that that's what we, you know, that's why they pay us the grossly mediocre <laughs> bucks uh, to, to come out. That's a good line. To, to, yeah. to create. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, I, I enjoyed the, those characters from the nineties and I figured nobody else was using them and, you know, might as well have yeah. a good time with them. I, I think Kane is a very fascinating mm-hmm. character. And the, the, early on, I remember the conversations. Pat was on the book at the time, but he and I shared studio space, and I was privy to some of the conversations. And, you know, it was a matter of being able to do Kane. And, and you know, we appreciate the fact that, that fans of the Clone Saga enjoy Spider-Girl and, and see it as an extension of that of that character. But really a lot of that comes from the fact that the, the MC2 universe was created in the late 90s, and that was some of the stuff that was, had been going on in the continuity at the time, and we kind of were extrapolating from that. I mean, what else could we extrapolate from? So a lot of that got pulled along, and, you know, the the announcement of, of Mary Jane's pregnancy and the, and the whole the initial May Day stuff, uh, you know, the baby stuff came out of that run of books and everything. And, you know, we love the fans desperately, but the, the perception that, that, that was killing us for a while and we were constantly are fighting against is that you have to be a fan of the Clone Saga to be a fan yeah, of Spider-Girl. And, yeah. and as much as we love the Clone Saga and, and see it for what it really was and how popular it really was, and we don't see it as a bad word, mm-hmm. you don't. Um, Kane is a standalone character, and, you know, it was, it was finding the approach that would work with Kane that made him a standalone character that didn't violate anything that was there. And if you read the Clone Saga, you know more about Kane than Mayday does. But the Kane, Kane, the Kane character has to stand alone and serve a function in and of himself in the Spider-Girl series. And, uh, you know, and her referencing an Uncle Ben and the costume she wears, obviously a lot of it is, is right there on the page. But, you know, it, that's not intrinsic to the Amazing Spider-Girl series and uh, certainly is not necessary. I mean, every issue has all the information you need to grab hold and right. enjoy the ride, you know. So, uh, but, but, I mean, a lot of that came from a lot of, of affection on our part. I mean, it was my idea to use the Ben Riley outfit because I thought it was a mm-hmm. terrific design. I, I thought it was wonderful that it 
incorporated all of the elements of the classic Ditko costume, which was genius and was different enough, but you know, a lay person probably wouldn't see a lot of the differences, but I thought it had a lot of flash on its own. And in the original plot for uh, What If 105, Tom had her putting on the classic costume, and I said, Tom, do you have any problem with me using the Ben Riley outfit? Because the, the, they had just wrapped up the Ben Riley stuff. Nobody was using the costume. And I had done some sketches, and boy, did it work really well yeah. on the female figure. Which, you know, is funny. Later, Sal Basema said, you know, I've always, I always said that about that costume, that it was a feminine-looking design. And I went, are you serious? <laughs> he went, yeah. So it makes perfect sense that you used it on a female figure. And I went, boy, that's weird. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting on, on that end of it. And so, I mean, certainly there are those connections, but I think we've moved past them. And, uh, I mean, but, you know. Certainly, no apologies for the characters we are using because uh, those characters, I think, exist. I think the Dark Devil miniseries showed that you know Dark Devil as a character has legs of his own and could go a lot of different directions, and and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, the third issue, especially of that Dark Devil miniseries, remember the title, Tom? Fathers yeah. of the Sin, <laughs> and it was about getting the character, you know, having the character have that moment where he admits his lineage and embraces who he is and all the different fathers that yeah. he has had. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I mean, it was, it's yeah. a cool character. And, uh, you know, whether you, whether you read the Clone mm-hmm. Saga or not, you know. We, you know, we've always looked at Spider-Girl as it, it should be an accessible character to, to brand-new readers. And, you know, every time I meet somebody who says, I've never read Spider-Girl, what issue should I start with? I always say, pick up any one at random. Doesn't matter. Pick up anyone at random. Yeah, I always <laughs> say the next one because we need the sales. <laughs> you know, so, so what we try to do is each issue, you know, have you know a, a full comic book reading experience in that one issue, and enough intriguing things that you're going to want to want to pick up the one after that. So we're always juggling between being totally accessible to new readers. And yet, being intriguing to all of our longtime yeah. fans. Um, yeah. In, in Spider Girl, we have never mentioned the Clone Saga, and that's a deliberate decision on our part. Uh, yeah. The vast majority of our readers buy Spider Girl in those um, mm-hmm. manga books, and they buy them through the schools. And, yeah. you know, I'm not convinced they even know that Spider Girl is published as a regular yeah. comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it works so well with 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 that format, and it, it was a great idea for Marvel to actually do that and get it out there. And I know we fought uh, for a long time just to get it into a, a trade paperback form. So the fact that you know you're able to get those out there to the little kids is just fantastic. Um, I know, Tom. I know um, Marvel's plan. One of Marvel's plans was, like you mentioned earlier, was for Ben to spin off into his own title, much like uh, Thunderstrike. Do you think he would have met, eventually met the same fate as Thunderstrike? Because uh, it seemed like every 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 time there was a spinoff title with like a different character, it always got canceled. Um, do, do you do you guys think he would have met the same fate? Well, if the same people were running the company at the, uh, at the time where they made that, that those Thunderstrike decisions, yes. Um, you know he he you know. Here's what happened to Thunderstrike and a bunch of the Yeah, other you made titles. a mistake by comparing it to Thunderstrike because now you got to hear the Thunderstrike story. <laughs> okay. We don't mind. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. Around that period of time, Marvel was, was producing about 120 titles, which sound like a lot, but every one of those titles were making money for the publisher and everyone down the line, uh, the retailers too. Um, a marketing person came up with this idea is if we, instead of doing 120, if we only publish 60, would the remaining 60 sell twice as well? Because if the remaining 60 sell twice the numbers, then as a publisher, you're making even more yeah. money. And, you know, I, who've been in the publishing business and the entertainment business for many years, just laughed <laughs> at the guy. Um, because it's, it's yeah. stupid. Um, if there are 10 good movies out, you, you, you try to see you know, as, as many of those movies as you can. If there are no good movies out, you go for <laughs> Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you know? Uh, uh, so, now, now he, he said, well, the retailers complain that, you know, 
the readers can't buy all the comics. And I said, well, that, that means people are going into the store, they're buying the, the comics they can afford, and there are a couple of other comics that they mm -hmm. wish they could get too. They just don't have the money for it. Yeah, you I keep wanting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, when I go car shopping, I find 10, 12 <laughs> cars that, that, I, you know, that, I could, that, yeah. that I would love to have. You know, and the truth is, I've got to settle for the, you know, the, the, the used <laughs> bond that I end up with. This is going to turn into car talk. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, uh, so they came yeah. up with this plan, and then they decided, well, we're going we're gonna, to you know, cut down the number of titles. Um, and... Then they looked at the titles and they said, well, you know, we've got two guys with a hammer. We've got Thor and Thunderstrike. I guess we mm, should cancel yeah. Thunderstrike. Which, in, in a certain, you know, in a certain regard makes sense. In the other regard, it was the stupidest thing they could have done because at the time they canceled Thunderstrike, Thunderstrike was outselling Thor and the Avengers mm -hmm. combined. Wow. It was outselling Thor and the Avengers combined, and most of Captain America oh. in there too. So, a lot of the titles they canceled were actually yeah. selling better th than the titles they kept. And a relatively short time later, they ended up canceling Thor during the Heroes Reborn right. stuff anyway, which kind of stuck yeah. in my craw too. But I mean, that's when you know, that's when War Machine and a lot of those books went went away because you know they they weren't going to cancel the icons right. in favor of the spin-offs you know yeah every one of those titles they canceled were selling at numbers easily better than what the right. x-men is selling today well it looks like we just lost spidey dude on the line so jr you're up <laughs> oh Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just looked at the, the, the Skype thing, and the uh, the call ended for him. So I, I guess he didn't pay his cell phone bill. <laughs> oh, man. What did I do? I think, I think he I went, bought a new car. JR, what questions do you have for the, the fellas? Okay, I'll, I'll run by these real quick, because I know you want to get to the, uh, the questions a lot of our posters have asked. But... Um, uh, one reason I'm here is I wanted to see, hear if Tom actually sounded anything like the character that I was reading about in, in all those old bullpen bits. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, well, there's a little, I can hear a little bit of it in there, but uh, but I still laugh at those things. Um, they were just they were really funny. And, I, I have a boring uh, story like they for stood you. The test of time. Okay, I, I have a little boring story for you. Okay. Um, many years ago, I went to a, you know, at a San Diego convention. I get there early in the morning, and I notice these two young kids. They're 12, 13, somewhere around there. And these two guys are looking around. They're in heaven, okay? You, you, you could just see the awe, the, the, the excitement on their faces. And, um, you know, they notice me by the table, so they can't come over and they say, are you really Tom DeFato? I go, yeah. And they, you know, could you sign these comic books? So I'm chatting with them and signing them and that sort of stuff. And um, and you know, having a nice conversation. And then one of the kids says, "Oh wow, you know, you're really, you're really a nice guy. You, you're not at all like that, you know, that big mouth, um, crazy person who appears all the." And then the kid realized what he's saying, and his, the blood drained out of his face. <laughs> and, the, and the other kid staring there holding these signed comic starts like taking a backward step from the kid trying to figure out you know how yeah. can he distance himself and I'm looking <laughs> at these two kids and thinking oh man what am I going to do how am I going to make these kids feel better so what I did then is I threw a boss man tantrum where I'm pounding on the table yelling at Rick Parker they always make me look bad they always make me That's that's a, a appearance they but, won't ever forget. I imagine. <laughs> that's a, well, I hope not, because because a bunch of other people came around and said, "Oh, wow, you're really <laughs> awesome. the boss man." <laughs> okay. My okay. Uh, next question is: um, 
uh, Tom, I recall that uh, when you thought Spider Girl was going to be canceled, um, and I forget whether this was the first, <laughs> third, or fourth time, um, you had a, a 15 years later um, ending story in mind. Um, now, of course, this question is going to run uh, counter to Ron's earlier statements about having closure, I guess. But uh, is that something you can talk about uh, now as far as what would have happened in that story? Or is it still something that's kind of in the back there in case you ever do decide to kind of kind of t- sign off on the series? Uh, excuse me a second, Tom, before you answer that. Jared, how did people find out about this story? Well, do you know I think, it was on the bo- I think it was on the message boards. I, well, I'm just kind of curious I, how it ever got out. Hey, Tom, do you know, Tom? Yeah, it was so yeah. Oh, it was solicited. Okay. Well, that'll do it then. I, you know, yeah. Nice to know people read the solicitations. I didn't know it was solicited. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, I believe it was solicited. Um, All right. You know, here's the background to the story is, you know, Spider Girl was really only supposed to be one issue, the What If 105. Um, although Ron and I left it open enough so that we could do another issue of What If at, at mm-hmm. a certain point. Um, you know, and then when Marvel decided that they they were going to try some crazy program, you know, with comic books in a bag, and they wanted Spider Girl to be part of part of that, the deal was it was going to run twelve issues, but only twelve. Mm-hmm. And then then it got extended for another, you know, I, I, I forget how many, but I think ultimately issue seventeen was going to be the last issue. And then they said no. I, you know, I think we're going to do six yeah. more, and six more. It sounds like and six you're more. always asked to stretch. And, and it seems like. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to definitely yeah. cancel it here. No, we decided not to cancel. We're going yeah. to cancel it here. And you know, you know, so I kept every couple of issues, having to write, you know, a farewell issue. Um, and I, you know, and I maintain if you go back the, the run of Spider Girl, everything that ends on a last pa- a full, a full <laughs> figure last page, those I thought were going to be the last issues. Yeah. And at one point, I said to him, "Listen, guys, you guys are driving me crazy. I can't yeah. do this anymore. You know, I, I, I have to just come up with one last issue." Oh, and I said, "I'm, I'm going to do the one last issue, and after that, there can never be another one." Um. And once I do that issue, I know I'll be done because it'll be one of those things that you, you can't right. ever come back from. Um, because it will effectively end the series, but end it, you know, with hope, you know, right. in a hopeful note, so it right. doesn't betray the series. But the series will definitely be over from that point. So I, you know, part of that story, and I. Um, you know, I, I believe that at a certain point, uh, Ron, when you came on the book. Yeah, it was Ron. Yeah, it was. Uh, I came on. We were sure it was canceled, so that's why Pat left. And I came on to just do like the last three or four issues, and that was going to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, and and they had basically told us that you know this time for sure. I think it was issue sixty or sixty-one. It was around there. Yeah. 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 This is this is going to be. Absolutely no hope. I, I even went up to Marvel and I said to the guys at Marvel, um, you know, Spider Girl's ending, you know, is definitely ending. Do you have any more work for me or am I done with you guys? And everybody, you know, kind of shuffled their feet and, you know, shook their heads and that sort of stuff. So I got the message and I kind of went around, said goodbye to everybody, walked out of the building and figured, you know, that's the last time I'll ever be at, at Marvel. Um, went home, uh, and uh, the following week... Yeah, I remember that, first, yeah. They, you know, they, they called me up and said, it's not canceled <laughs> Stretch. <anymore." laughs> and I said, yeah. And then they said, uh, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, and said, we need a plot wow. by Friday. And I said, uh, "Oh sure, I, I, you, you just need one. I'll give you, I'll give you two. And I said, "Very funny." And I hung up. And for the rest of the day, I kept getting these calls, and um, never occurred to me that yeah. any of this was real. <laughs> um, but you know, we've had that 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 plot. You know, Ron has done the first bunch of pages. Um, 
as time has gone on, you know, some of the stuff in there, we will, you know, have to make appropriate changes and, and things. But as far as I'm concerned, yeah. that's still the last story. At one point, they said to me, you know, sh- should we put that in Spider Girl 100? And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be great to put it in Spider Girl 100. And they said, well, what if we want to bring the book back? I said, well, you'll bring it back with a different creative team. Because <laughs> once I do that, I'm done. And I think we'll stop it right about there for part one of our interview with Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Uh, if you want to leave some feedback for this show, we've got uh, a thread started on our message board at SpidermanCrawlspace.com. We're always looking for comments and feedback about the show. And we're splitting this. This interview is about two and a half hours long, so we're splitting it up into about three parts so you guys don't have to download a huge file on the Internet. So l- stay tuned. In the next couple days, we'll release part two of our interview. Look for that. Thanks for listening, guys.